0: Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday School lesson that we are presenting on July 31st, 2022. And so as we have passed now the midpoint of the year and uh, also the kind of the midpoint of uh, summer, it doesn't feel like falls in the air, but I suppose if you go by the calendar, it really is. We're getting closer to that. And um, it just is amazing how fast time goes by when you're having fun, doesn't it? And we're enjoying our study in the Book of Daniel about the life of Daniel. It's not we're not going to go verse by verse all the way through the book, and we're going to skip some really good uh, things in the Book of Daniel. But we're going to do a little bit different. Per- this is more about biography, and um, this week we're going to be ta- we'll be talking about Daniel. And yet Daniel's not exactly in our story, but his, um, his DNA is all over it. Let's, let's put it that way. He, his finger, if we were investigating this as a crime scene, we would find his fingerprints all over this because this is about Daniel's friends who were a very, very big part of his life. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as, or a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, I've entitled this, Show Me Your Friends, and I'll Show You Your Future. Because there's a lot that we take for granted about friendships. And we don't realize just how much they affect us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should never be a friend to a person who is maybe not like you or not a believer or something like that. In fact, I think we've made a big mistake in all of that type of stuff. I was told all the time growing up things like this. If you can be comfortable around lost people and uh, have friendships with lost people, then you're probably not saved. Did you hear anything like that? And yet, uh, that never seemed to square very well with the life of the Lord Jesus, did it? Because he seemed to be perfectly at home around lost people. Now, granted, he did not participate in what they were doing that was wrong. He did not approve of what they were doing that was wrong. He didn't hesitate when it was appropriate to speak against what they were doing. But yet, at the same time, he befriended them, he ate with them, he taught them, he did miracles for them, all of those kind of things. And when I was a teenager, particularly, we would be told all of those kind of things because they had a a good motive. They wanted us to be separate. They wanted us not to be drugged down by the worst and uh, pulled into things that we didn't want to. They wanted us to hang around in a tight-knit group of Christian friends in a kind of a Christian community. And during that time, the late 70s and the early 80s, uh, if you'll stop and think about it, that's when everything started emerging to this uh, Christian subculture. And I think that we thought it was going to bring us revival. It was going to fortify us and all of that. And that's when you started having, well, I remember in uh, the early 80s, there was even a thing in Oklahoma City called the Christian Yellow Pages. And that way you could support Christian businesses. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what was happening is we were having a Christian subculture. We would have Christian bookstores. We had Christian music. We had Christian coffee shops. One of them was named Holy Grounds, but it was spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y, and uh, different things like that. We had uh, Christian singles groups. That was pretty big back then. Uh, Christian radio stations. I mean, Christian everything. And what did that do for us? Do you think that uh, people in Oklahoma City now some 40 years later, are better, are holier, more honoring to Christ? Is our city and metro area more of of what it ought to be, more moral and all of that? And uh, no, I don't think we have any illusions about any of that happening. In fact, I think the opposite happened. And I think what it did back then was we got to the place to where we really didn't have to do much interaction with the world, maybe going to school, maybe going to work or something like that. But as soon as we got got off work, you know, we found a Christian bowling alley to go to or an arcade. I played a lot of video games back then. And, uh, you know, all of these different kind of things to where we were always around Christian people. Now, am I saying it's bad and wrong to be around Christian people? No, not at all. I, that's a blessing because again, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And so, if um, you think about the opposite of, of what I've been saying—that if all I do is hang around with, you know, lost people, with thugs, with you know, uh, gang members, and all of that—then that's probably not going to do me well. But can we flip that coin over and say? At the same time, if we isolate ourselves, make kind of a Christianized little bubble where everybody we're around, we work with Christians. Some people you know, have said to me in the past, pray for me that I can find a job where there are a lot of Christian people and maybe a Christian boss. Now, nothing wrong with that, particularly, except that it takes you out of the place where maybe God has you around those lost people that you can evangelize, that you can witness to. And another thing that comes up too is some of the most disappointing experiences that I and several other people I could name have had in employment, in secular employment, have been with Christian people. And I think the reason is we tend to uh, Expect more out of them. We think we're going to have fellowship. We think we're going to do everything ethically and morally and biblically. And so then when you find out that sometimes when they're making a sale of a certain product, they encourage you to kind of shade the truth, if not actually lie. If a lost person does that, that's just the way they are. If a Christian person does that, it really disappoints us. And so sometimes we can be set up for failure by that. And I think the reason that is, is because we were not designed simply to be in a Christian bubble all the time. But at the same time, haven't you known some other people? They came to church. They appeared to be Christians, but they didn't have much Christian friendship or Christian fellowship. They were hit and miss in their church attendance, and hit and miss in in going to things outside of church services where they could actually get to know people and bond with people and fellowship with people. And uh, what happened to them? Uh, Usually they drifted away, they fell into sin. A lot of things um, happened to them that were very bad. And so we've got to strike a balance in here. And we want to say this, you've got to have contact With non-Christian people, but you cannot have exclusive contact with non-Christian people. Now, our friends have tremendous influence over us, either for the good or for the bad. And in this case, I think Daniel had a tremendously good influence on um, his three friends, and they had a tremendously good influence on him. One of the things that the Lord used to bring me to Christ was he gave me some new friends. I had been a semester in college and I was that kid who hit the skids when I got there. I didn't have any accountability. I wasn't close to my parents. I didn't know anybody, uh, but maybe one or two or three people on campus and they didn't really care how I lived or anything like that. And so during that whole time, I I just didn't go to church and uh, did things that really bothered my conscience because I knew I wasn't raised that way. And that's what led me to uh, transfer and go to uh, OSU. And I went to OSU not because I, I didn't care about the school. I didn't know anything about the school. But I went there because I had a friend from church and a friend from high school that went there. He's the uh, guy that I I tell you about every once in a while who has ALS. And through that, uh, transferring there, and through him, I met some friends that had a tremendous impact on my life because they loved the Lord. They were walking with the Lord, and that put that into my life, and they planted a lot of seeds. They weren't perfect, but um, they were you know, genuinely seeking to honor the Lord. And that was a big turnaround for me. And you may have a testimony that's uh, very similar to that. And so um, on one hand, when you hear people say, and I'm sure Isaac hears this kind of stuff a lot, well, my son or daughter or my grandson or granddaughter, they're just really great kids. They're just hanging around with the wrong people. Well, Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, they know better, and they're probably doing what they want to do and following their heart when they do that, kind of like I did. Uh, But at the same time, it is true. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. In fact, uh, I read about a research project that um, even talks about the influence that friends have upon us. And... um, Here it is. It's in your introduction, in your lesson book. A 2014 study published in the Journal of Consumer Research found that friends often bond by providing one another with moral support to resist a temptation. Isn't that interesting? We talk about moral support. We've all used that term, but I bet very few of us have thought about it in terms of supporting our morals, and that's why they're saying um, resist temptation. So if my temptation is um, you know, to go out and get drunk, then probably if I can hang around people who don't drink, that's gonna have an influence on my life and help me to resist temptation. If I am uh, involved in fornication and adultery and that type of thing, if I hang around people who do that, laugh about it and think it's cool, that's probably not going to help me a whole lot, but if I hang around other people who don't do that I'm going to find some strength in that moral moral support, in other words. Now he goes on to say, however, friends also commonly conspire together to enjoy indulgences. See what see what we're saying that if I have a propensity toward a certain sin, and I hang out with people who are comfortable with that sin, enjoy that sin, uh, they're probably going to help me to commit that sin, not get away from it, right? So either way, they can help you avoid temptation or they can help you uh, get involved in it. Uh, It goes on to say, research has discovered that when it comes to resisting temptations, and then they say, well, it's kind of funny to me, but it's true. Like eating chocolate, sometimes friends were more likely to become partners in crime as they decided to indulge together. Okay, In other words, birds of a feather, what do they do? They flock together. Now, Daniel's friends were a reflection of Daniel. And when we find them at the fiery furnace standing up against Nebuchadnezzar, They did that just like Daniel would have done. I don't know where Daniel was, but they didn't really need him, but he had had an impact on them and they evidently had an impact on him because when he needed to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what did he do? He included them in the whole scenario and so they were together, they were tight, they were a team in all of this. So when we think about this, we'll, make our points, and then read our scripture. And so uh, let's do that. And first of all, let's talk about Daniel's friends were devoted. Daniel's friends were devoted. Do you have friends that are devoted to the Lord, that are devoted to the right, to right things? And it says in uh, verse 8, it says, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. Boy, talk about peer pressure. Everybody is called in to do that. A big group, big group. and everybody is going to do that. But verse 11 says, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your God's Or worship the gold image that you have set up. Now, everybody needs some friends that are devoted to the Lord. Everybody needs some friends, you know, we think of them in terms of their loyalty toward us. Well, that's a good thing. We need friends that are loyal, we need friends that love us, we need friends that will sympathize with us. We need friends that will listen to us. We need friends that will just have fun with us. Nothing wrong with any of that. But Daniel's went much, much deeper. He had friends that were devoted. And notice that they were devoted whether Daniel was there or not. They didn't depend upon Daniel. They weren't putting on a show for Daniel. And uh, they just lived their life. And it didn't matter what everybody else was doing. Everybody else is bowing down. And can you imagine, as uh, these people report this to King Nebuchadnezzar, that when everybody would bow down at the sound of the music, there are three people that are standing, three people that refused to bow. And so uh, this is their chance. And evidently, they resented the fact that these Jewish captives have been appointed to high positions over them because of their relationship with Daniel, and uh, they they have their opportunity now. Now, notice these three guys, they did not agitate or stir up trouble, and neither were they passive or just camouflaged. They didn't just figure out, maybe we'll only bend over and bow halfway. So we're not really worshiping, but we're not really sticking out either. It's like the person that uh, was scared to death that they were going to be at a at a party where people were drinking that somebody might find out that they didn't drink. And so they would uh, fill their glass with something that looked like, you know, an alcoholic beverage so that they didn't stick out. A lot of people do things like that. We just don't want to call attention to anything. Well, Daniel's friends didn't do that. And their faith, convictions, and devotion to the Lord it was strikingly evident. These other people didn't understand their God, didn't understand their worship, didn't understand their customs, but they knew one thing. They don't worship our God and they're not like us. Oh, that as Christians, we could be that bold and that devoted to the Lord, even when the pressure is on. And their faith was obviously a rebuke to the world in which they lived. And that's what Uh, made them so mad and aggravated them it's like the old saying when you throw a rock in a pack of dogs the one that barks is the one that got hit that's not only true when a pastor preaches a sermon that is also true in a situation like shadrach meshach and abednego were in number two i want you to notice this daniel's friends were fearless it says in verse 13 then nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury boy how many times have we read that about him commanded, uh, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, you're going to stand before the king. That is frightening. That is intimidating. And uh, so they brought these men before the king. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, remember he's angry and furious, saying to them, is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, while he does talk about serving other gods, notice how self-centered this is. Do you uh, not worship and serve my gods or worship the gold image that I have set up? This guy is uh, really an ego uh, maniac, isn't he? Verse 15, now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God, little g, he says, the God who will deliver you from, here it is again, my hands? Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, doesn't he? And again, remember, we've made this every week. Nebuchadnezzar is under the impression that because he defeated Judah and because he took the articles out of the temple and because he took the brightest and the best captive and brought them to Babylon, that he was greater than the God of Judah. So here you find these three men. They're unafraid of an irrational... Furious king. How would you do in that situation? I don't know that I would do extremely well in that. God would have to give me some real grace for that situation, not to respond in kind or make matters worse or wilt or anything like that. Also notice that they were unafraid of the way the king made it personal. we talked about that. My gods, the image that I have set up. This is not just a defiance of some religion, some impersonal religion or an impersonal God. This is not just a, you know, worship the God of your choice type thing. This is the king said, this is my image and these are my gods. And if you don't worship them, then I am going to take it personal and you're going to pay. And they're unafraid of the threats and they're unafraid of the arrogant challenge That he makes to them who will deliver you from me well he's about to find out isn't he but these men didn't know that at that time nebuchadnezzar didn't know it at that time and yet um, they were fearless we need friends that are fearless all of us have fears in certain areas mine may not be where yours are yours may not be where i am so what do we need we need each other don't we because if you can stand up when I'm afraid, and I can stand up when you're afraid, we're going to help each other out, and we're going to work through all of this, devoted and fearless. Thirdly, Daniel's friends were immovable. You know, you don't need friends that are off and on, do you? Now, you probably should be a friend of those kind of people, because you don't want to be like them. There's something to be said for loyalty, but boy, it does get old when you have these people that When they need you, they sure are in contact with you. Then all of a sudden you notice you don't hear from them. You don't see them. Nothing's really happening because they don't really have need of you right at that moment. And sometimes you may, I've got some friends like this that I call them, I text them, I reach out to them, and they may or may not respond. But then all of a sudden when they need something, all of a sudden when there's a problem in their life, here they come. You know, uh, might interest you to know, I've got some people that no longer come to our church, and yet they contact me regularly for advice or whenever they're having a problem. They don't really want to worship with us, not interested in anything like that, and yet they talk about what a great friend I am and how I help them so much, and uh, I don't really consider that to be a great friendship. Do you? And yet Daniel's friends were not like that. These were guys that were immovable. They were just constant in his life and in their walk with the Lord. Let's look at verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, toot your horns all you want to. Nothing's going to change. We don't have to have a second chance here. There is no need to answer you in this matter. 17, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. One way or another, you're not going to control us is what they're saying. Can you imagine that kind of faith? One way or another, if we die in the furnace, we're done with you. If he delivers us from your hand, We're done with you and you'll see who our God is. But look at verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. No need to answer. No need to give me a second chance. That's what he offered him. What they were saying was nothing's changed and they were willing to suffer the consequences. And a lot of times what we find that makes us vacillate is we take these bold stands until it costs us something. Jesus said, you better count the cost. And we many times don't. We think we're bold and tough warriors for Jesus. We've got convictions until it costs us something. I know some people that were bold, and they would offend people, and they didn't care what anyone thought until it was their son or daughter that fell into sin, till it was one of their grandchildren that turned out to be uh, gay or something like that. Then all of a sudden they vacillate on things. We need to think through things and be careful what we say, be careful where we stand. And then once we take that stand, we need to be consistent in it. And I think a lot of times our children don't respect us because they don't see the consistency in our lives. We're just kind of blowing in the wind, as Bob Dylan might say. So they're willing to suffer the consequences. If that's the price I've got to pay, then that's the price I've got to pay. And they stood their ground. And their statement of faith, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. That's a great statement. But then they go on to say, but if not, Let it be known to you, O king, it doesn't change anything. We won't serve your gods, and we won't worship the gold image that you set up. So we don't play this game of manipulating God, and if God will make me rich, and if he'll make me healthy, and he'll uh, do all of this stuff for me, then I will serve him. No, you serve him on his terms, not on your terms. And that's why the health and wealth and prosperity gospel is so uh, flawed and messing so many people up, and it is set on fire of hell, because it tells people, in fact, I had one of the people that were big in that movement make this statement to me, I'm going to get my prayers answered. And either God's going to do it, or I'll pray to the devil, but I will get my prayers answered. You see, that's where that kind of stuff leads. I love God because of what he does. I love God because of what he gives. Well, we should obviously. But that's not the core reason why we worship and serve God. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are giving us a good example. Even if we burn up, even if we die, we still will not serve the king or any of his gods. And number four, Daniel's friends were impactful. In verse 19, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed Toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. That's hot. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. This seven times hotter furnace, right? Verse 21. These men were bound... In their uh, coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Get that? It killed the people who threw them into the furnace. Verse 24 Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered. I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So where do you find uh, this happening here, the impact that they had? Well, the king is not neutral or ambivalent towards them at all. He hates them. He's angry with them. And notice that the fire killed the king's men, but it didn't kill God's men. It didn't kill the uh, friends of Daniel. That's grace. The ones who were supposed to die didn't, and the ones who weren't supposed to die did. The fire that should have killed them actually made them free. Notice how they fell into the fire. But when Nebuchadnezzar calls attention, he said, look, they're up and they're walking around. They're they're loosed. You know, there are a lot of times you and I are going to go through the fire and we're scared to death to go through the fire. We don't want to go through the fire. And yet, sometimes you'll find in life, you ready for this? It's the fire that's going to set you free. It was the fire that burned the ropes that set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego free. Now, who was the fourth man in the fire that Nebuchadnezzar saw? Well, I think for us, because of the way that uh, the New King James and King James is written, we tend to think, oh, it was Jesus, the Son of God. I'm not sure Nebuchadnezzar knew that there was a Son of God or could have identified the Son of God if uh, any of that happened. Uh, Probably... He had no idea. And I think probably the best way to understand it is he said the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. He looks like maybe one of the gods himself, or he's got to be something more than just a normal and typical human being. I don't think this is a statement of faith. I think this is a statement of astonishment. And uh, he recognized it as an angelic, heavenly being. Now we believe it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ and we take comfort from that knowing that the Lord is with us and he doesn't just show up in the good times. He's there with us when we're going through the fire and we thank the Lord for that. But to back up, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar had a clue about any of that. So be careful about reading too much into something that you understand that Nebuchadnezzar and the people living back then wouldn't have understood. Well, the conclusion, Nebuchadnezzar gives praise to God, or at least seems to. And you need to remember what this is all about. This is not about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not even about Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar or the image or the fire or any of that. It's about God, the God of Judah, the God of Daniel, Versus the God of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's got the powerful gods. But just like with David and Goliath, the showdown that they had really wasn't about killing Goliath. And it wasn't really about how we need to stand up to our giants in our life. It wasn't about that at all. Even David and Goliath, it was a showdown against the Philistine gods and the God of Israel. Well, that's what's happening here as well. Nebuchadnezzar had said, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Well, in verse 26, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, that's a, government official in ancient Persia, kind of like a governor. Administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw that these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of smoke was not on them. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God Notice he's not saying my God, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him, and they have uh, frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they would not serve nor worship any god except their God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap. Sounds like what he was going to do to the wise men earlier, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. In verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So the thing that made everybody so jealous of them and caused them to report them in the first place. Now it's been compacted because God delivered them and now they're promoted even more. And Nebuchadnezzar and his gods, well, I would say that Nebuchadnezzar is not saved because he still calls him the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I would say this, he's got a question mark. He's got a little bit of doubt. And my experience has been, whenever you're talking to somebody, maybe they're a member of a cult or some other false religion, you may not be able to get them to immediately fall on their knees and confess Christ as Lord. But sometimes, if you can plant a little bit of doubt and make them walk away going, maybe maybe, maybe I'm not exactly right. There's an inroad there that the Spirit of God can use. And that's what's happening in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Something dramatic is going to happen. These are great friends of Daniel's. And they're great friends, whether Daniel is there or not. They're consistent and they're faithful and they're dedicated. They're fearless. They're immovable. Remember all those things we talked about. You need those kind of friends. Oh, but let me conclude with this. You need to be that kind of friend for someone else as well. To get one, you probably are going to have to be one. Well, thank you for taking time to watch this video. Thank you, teachers, for listening to the audio and for getting yourself ready to teach. This is a powerful, powerful lesson, and I pray God's blessings on you as you teach it. And those of you who are watching this to keep up with your Sunday school class, I pray that it has blessed you as well. God bless all of you, and thank you again for watching.